Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I am here this week for four episodes with um, Harry Potter and Jesus. Um, Kendra's hair looks like Jesus this week, and Liam has on glasses that make him look like Harry Potter. So quite the interesting um, trio that we have here. Everyone's two, two saviors. Two I've saviors. had a mix of people telling me, that, well, I've had so far the only person, my mom has told me that, that I look like Harry Potter with the glasses on. And then another, a few other people, because I have a black Columbia sweatshirt. When I was wearing my glasses and I had that on, people were, t- I had a few guys telling me that I looked like Steve Jobs, like a young, young Steve Jobs. It's wild. You're just, what are you, what is that? I'm what eating bit? mochi. Okay. I'm just like, what is that ball? Oh, I love ball? mochi. Amazing. I'm glad that you're eating mochi right now. Um, cool. Jesus is eating mochi. So go eat some mochi. Um, but we are the back- reason we're saying I look like Jesus just for people who can't see me. My hair is long, not long. My hair is like medium length and brown and like just barely hits my shoulder. And it always reminds me when it's this length of white Jesus. Yeah. And so I always say, oh, I have Jesus hair. And that's a sign I have to cut it. So that's what we mean by I look like Jesus. I look like white Jesus. (laughs) I have hair from, I have hair that looks uh, from a woman, from a 37 year old woman in 1964. So that's my hairstyle. So I think yours might be a little bit better. That's, I love that we're like discussing this. I think this is what the people came here for. And this is what they wanted to know. My hair is incredibly uneven. It's very long and it gets stuck in my armpits if I wear it in a ponytail and do yoga. Um, and that's my fun fact for you. So um, I'm glad that we covered this because that was, I think, really important for everyone to know critical um amazing so we are here to um continue with our four episodes discussing being salmon being human encountering the wild in us and this week we covered chapter five which was the seas in our veins and then chapter six being human and i really liked both of these chapters a lot hi liam's dog very cute um I thought these were like, these were really, really good and like very thought provoking and well-written. And it's just not something that you read in the typical like salmon paper. Um, What, what do you guys think? What were your initial thoughts? I think these two chapters were definitely probably the most philosophical and metaphorical ones of of the of the of the book so far um there's definitely a lot of um you know connections being drawn well there's more detail i think in this book um on on what our physiological uh, connections are uh to the ocean because um usually um I think a lot, I think most people have heard, you know, that, that, you know, it's likely that we're drawn to, um, or we can draw um, human evolution to evolution of, of, of uh, marine life. But I think this does, um, 
but yeah, this does, I think, a, a good a good job of, um, or at least chapter five that mostly focuses on that physiological uh, comparison, showing that hey, you know, we really are, 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 you know, a lot of the fluids and the tissue that exists, all of it that we have in our bodies, they all have the same compositions that are found in, you know, oceans uh, across the world, and yeah basically and and she and the uh, author also made a comparison um uh at the beginning of the of chapter five talking about um when she gave birth and she was um drawing up uh, questions of like you know could uh could you know the umbilical cord you know refer uh, be is similar to you know the head you know headwaters that you know sam would probably uh, that that you know sam, uh, salmon and other marine life uh, exist in and a little bit um in how um life is created life's always created um in um in our bodies uh with water and with tools that are basically made of water and then you know again drawing those kind of comparisons basically giving that sort of you know emphasis on how how connected we are to the ocean you know, physically, uh, physically and philosophically in a way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the first part, like when he was talking about his wife giving birth and then cutting the umbilical cord and he talked about like how connected he felt and then that, you know, connection was kind of just cut, but he feels like it's still there. Um, I think that that was a really powerful part. And then he talks about like the comparison of, like our genetic makeup and when we sweat and how close that is to seawater. Um, overall, I thought that, you know, the, this was all very poetically written. Um, but it like, it was definitely interesting. I like, I feel like he, I love that he's trying to always get people to view things from a different standpoint. That's not like purely academic. And like, he talks about like, viewing things from a poetic standpoint and like the idea of wonder and like how that keeps people connected to the planet um but I guess I'll, I'll hold off on my thoughts about like some of those connections so we talk about the next chapter um but what did you think Kendra I thought that these two chapters were rooting or an attempt to remind the reader and root us in our connection to the planet in the in various ways the sea in our veins being the one short chapter and then the much longer chapter of being human, um, which just went into how we are connected to the earth, even the um, like linguistic history of human and earth and how those tie together, which I just thought was very interesting in his different uh, inserts from uh, Shakespeare. And then he did uh, Walt Whitman, which is a great one. Uh, but I just felt like that was kind of the purpose of these two chapters was to remind us we're a part of the planet we are not existing above it or better than it for whatever reason um our cognitiveness is not making us better than other things and doesn't make us like lords and gods over everything essentially absolutely um that like made me think of a quote on page 107 um it's and he's basically talking about our relationship to the earth. Um, and it's a little bit of a longer one, but I'm gonna go ahead and read the whole thing anyways. 
The timely contribution of phenology to ecology thought is that it nudges the ethical imagination towards the primacy of our perceptual embeddedness as embodied creatures in the living land. It trains us to pay heed to the mul multiplicity of styles, to other modes of perception and ways of being in the world, to the many angles of which the world experiences itself. It does not imply that humans are anything less than unique or awe-inspiring, and in fact, or in fact, they are even more unique and awe-inspiring than what the radiocentric bias may have us believe. But this does not make them stand apart, nor does it elevate them. It integrates them more deeply into the earth. It helps humans and animals to become receptive to the uniqueness of other marvelous kinfolk, such as mountain trout um, and musk, or I'm sorry, or moose. Um, I, yeah, I, and he talked about our, like, like even when it comes down to like peeing and defecating and eating and like proteins breaking down when in your body, that is like a deep relationship with the earth because it's like all of our, like, you know, everything that we have goes back into the earth and the earth consumes it. And even when we die, you know, our bodies consume themselves and then the earth consumes it. Um, and it's just a like, I think a, a way that we're not exactly taught to think when it comes to science. And I think um, it's definitely important. I would describe this as spiritual as well as philosophical. Um, and I think it's natural for a lot of people to think this way. Like it's, it's natural for these thoughts to occur, but I feel like a lot of people don't want to say it because we're taught that like logic and ration, like, you know, takes over and, should be our predominant way of thinking. And while obviously I do believe in science and I do think that it is important, I also think that coming back and having, like if we maybe had more of this type of mindset, we wouldn't necessarily have to use all of this science to manage the planet because it manages itself pretty well. Well, to piggyback off of your quote on page 96, I really liked the question, what if we considered human speech and human thought not to be our exclusive possession, but rather our contributions to larger gift cycles, larger cycles of participation? Which I just liked because often, not often, the argument for why humans kind of run everything and why we are the superior ape or superior animals because uh, we have speech and then we are cognitive. So we have complex thoughts that at least we know of, we recognize, we act on, consider to other animals that uh, that makes us better. That's why we're the better species. We're the most successful, all that kind of stuff uh, that will be touted around. But if the perspective could just change that it's just a different asset. It doesn't make us better or worse than any other animal. It's just like funny how this concept of ego has come up so many ways on this podcast, like throughout the last two years, it's just like come up as a root of a lot of the problems and it totally is. And like, that's, I mean, ultimately that is the root of the issue. Like, it's not like when we think of these issues with the salmon and with the orca, it's not like, you know, the fisheries or it's not the dams. It's like, yes, those are symptoms, but the issue itself is our relationship to the planet and the way that we view ourselves and the need to conquer over nature versus participating in it or coexisting with it. Do you have any thoughts, Liam? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think definitely that the ego that we have probably is 
uh, clouds our judgment to the point where it's every decision that uh, that we make, even when it's supposedly um, is, you know, is in the environment's favor, it still it still has to have some level of requirement of of I guess. Well, I, I, let's see. I don't want to uh, make it seem like you know uh, that you know that all human uh, human needs are human needs are not necessary because they clearly are but like mostly i think the ego still any decision that any decision that we make is still rooted in that in that um in that idea of you know us still being set you know still being separate from uh, separate or above the environment and that largely stems from the this ego that um that we've developed um, within the last, you know, probably a couple thousand years of human existence. Cause I think it probably, you know, I mean, definitely it's, it's definitely it's highest now than it has for sure ever been in human history. Yeah. yeah. It's probably because of events that have had, that have happened, um, in our world and decisions that people have made that it's sort of emphasized and glorified, um, uh, or it, the decisions that we've made have um, encouraged people to glorify um, their their own ego, own individual ego. Absolutely. Which, and yeah, clouds the ju- clouds uh, judgment and and causes us to probably make decisions that may not necessarily for uh, be the, uh, be for the better. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And like, I like at the beginning, like where you're like, you know talking about not trying to make ego necessarily like a bad thing or say that everyone is that way. And like ego isn't necessary. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It, oh, it, yeah, it doesn't can have be. to be. And like the whole point of ego is it is a way it's a survival mechanism. It's a way to protect yourself. Um, like when you boil it down, because ultimately like, you know, you're trying to be perceived in a way that's going to get you further in society, further in life. Right. And, you know, I think ultimately, you know, you have to, you got to draw yourself back and like recognize, okay, like when is this ego actually serving me to a place where I'm survive? Like, you know, the, the purpose is survival, but now it's getting to a, a point where it's like, it's, you know, doing the opposite where it's like, we're destroying the planet. There's a quote on page 92 and it says, um, in, 2007, Montgomery published his book, um, in his book, Dirt, The Erosion of Civilization, in which he concludes that the current way in which modern humans encounter soil around the globe is suicidal. I thought that was extremely powerful. Um, That's like such an amazing quote that just like sums it up. Um, But yeah, it's like ultimately the ego is supposed to help us survive. And I think that it helps us to survive in the short term of like, right now, like, you know, I need to make X amount of money to, you know, excel in my career or to feel a certain way or whatever. And I'm not saying that like, you know, people that are trying to make money are, are bad. I think I said something last time on the podcast that maybe sounded like that, but what I meant is like people who need absurd amount of wealth, you know, nobody needs to hoard all the wealth. Um, but yeah, I do think a lot of these issues boil down to ego. And I think ultimately how we make the world better and how we solve our problems. And I've said this, I feel like a million times is ultimately healing ourselves 
ourselves, you know, and there's only so much each person can do. And we can all sit here and do as much self-work as possible. And like the world is still gonna exist the way that it is, but we just need to get more and more people on board and like shifting that perspective to like, what is truly important? Because ultimately I think at the end of your life, if you prioritize things like having absurd amount of, of wealth or like being physically attractive or being famous or whatever, you know, those things are not like going to serve you at the end of your life. I feel like when he talks about our relationship with the earth, like there is something so spiritual about being connected to the earth and, you know, going out and interacting with the salmon and the whales and not necessarily like going and physically interacting with them, but like, you know, interacting with them in the environment. Um, there's something about that that's so sacred. And I feel like we continue to push further and further away from what is natural to us. Probably, probably what makes it sacred is that, is that quote unquote interacting with those animals probably is giving us a glimpse into a balanced, basically a balanced mindset almost that, that a lot of uh, animals uh, may have where they don't where you know even yeah sure we you know it's obvious we don't know to what to the extent that um that certain animals feel you know what uh, certain feelings but we probably but it's possible that that the emotions that they do have are are within balance and they probably don't prioritize uh, probably don't prioritize a single um one that gives them that is a piece of their uh, piece of survival because I think it's all human emotion. All human emotion probably is a survival technique, but I think um, animals probably have it. Well, just uh, other animals probably are able to. What makes what allows them to basically flourish and is because they're able to have all those um, things in balance. Again, we don't know, you know, what emotions uh, they feel. Uh, all the rest of the animals uh, feel, but they probably are able to keep them in balance. Probably that kind of makes me wonder, though, if if our complex human emotions are like what um, makes us this way and makes us like destroy the planet. Maybe you just need like less emotions. Who knows? Maybe, or maybe you know, it's just maybe just less emphasis on certain ones. Yeah, because I think we probably you know with with ego since we've we've created a society that encourages you know ego and individualism if we can you know not completely get rid of it but just scale back to where it's in balance then we could probably um be i guess better off as kind of it's kind of a vague way of saying it but just yeah. not not be as damaging as not to, not be as damaging to ourselves and to the planet. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I think it's just, you're right. It's like a matter of keeping it in check and like recognizing it and like not letting your emotions or your ego rule you and like being able to self-reflect enough to assess what that, you know, what it is about your ego that makes you feel the need to maybe have things that would be considered status symbols or like, you know, um, I don't know, go on trips just so that you can take pictures or whatever. I, these are just like random examples that I'm like thinking of that are like, there's a million examples that you can think of, but yeah. What are your thoughts, Kendra? I was gonna, well, just on that part, 
it kind of del- starts to delve into what is what is human nature when the way you guys were almost um, discussing that topic of ego, what makes human what uh, what makes humans do this? Why do we go down this path whereas other animals seem to not? Is our cognitiveness to our benefit or to our own destruction? And it's a huge thing talked about in philosophy for like years and years since forever. Uh, Rousseau, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Descartes, they all talk about it. Plato believes that human nature is one that is social uh, based on a lot. A lot of it has to do with our reasoning and corruption, the potential for corruption. Are humans inherently bad? Are we inherently good with outside sources that make us bad? Mm. Or is there something inherently bad within people that we figure out eventually and that came along with evolution or with society as society grew so it's this and it's a whole thing a whole conversation uh that i think is very interesting because everyone has different perspectives i fall more on the side of i think humans contain a bit of bad in them that can then be brought out by the society they are living in. Not that human nature is pure and good from the get-go. And that's where I see like our ego corrupts. We, I think what you said, the analogy with the soil uh, is a big one. And I liked how he said uh, on page 93, they speak of sustainable resource management or maximum sustainable yields, which I had to laugh at because my favorite class in college was, natural resource management because it was just interesting to learn about the ways that we mess up and also don't mess up how we deal with our natural resources because humans need water we need food land those all fall under natural resources but when when you just think of it in general how kind of funny it is that we just have lumped everything into an inanimate group of a resource yeah food a resource like your banana your salmon your cow and your lettuce, those are all the same thing. They're just a resource. They're just food. When each of those are inherently very different than each other, they have a very different and inherent uh, evolutionary process from what they used to be to what they are now, how we have genetically bred them to best serve us. Like chickens we eat are very different from just like what a wild chicken would look like, but we've bred them to be these big bulky Uh, chickens that have more and more meat on them same with corn and fruits like bananas the bananas we eat look very different from just wild growing bananas yeah that kind of stuff um and then you think he said earlier in the book I think it was this book but you could look at the like a banana and look at its current genetics that would tell you all you needed to know about what humans prioritize and what humans want And I found that to be a very strong and interesting, like interesting as in it's not a way I've heard that proposed before when we talk about food management and the issues we have with like our food uh, to say, look at the genes and you see what humans prioritize. Yeah, that like, I agree with you. I definitely haven't like thought about it like that way before either. And I also do think that that is a very powerful way to look at things. I like, I think one of the things that I'm learning a lot from this book, well, or, you know, reiterating something that I have learned is like how important it is to look at things from as many perspectives as possible, because 
you know, no matter what the situation is, there is no right one perspective. And, you know, and, and that's all a part of balance. And that's also a part of ego is thinking that there is one right perspective, you know? Um, but yeah, overall, like these like two chapters are, I think very, very powerful. And like, you know, it kind of gets you to connect to, it gets you to think about connecting to your soul and how you connect to the planet. And like, we absolutely view things as a resource and like, you know, I challenge myself as well as other people to consider the way that they look at animals and like, uh, and resources, you know, what we consider to be resources, food, other things, and maybe try to look at that differently. Just, you know, not saying that you need to change your perspective completely, but like, just challenge yourself to like, maybe when you're like out looking at salmon rather than, you know, being like, oh, this is something that I can catch. Just be like, this is a being swimming through the water. Or, you know, when you're out looking at a whale rather than being like, oh, this is something that I can photograph, or this is something that I need to touch or whatever. Just be like, wow, you know, just looking, looking at it for what it is and like letting it pass, you know? What else did you guys think about it? I feel like this is just, I don't know. This book is just awesome. He doesn't say off of that um, humans need, we're at a point where we almost need motivation to think of something as not as like worth our empathy, worth protecting, worth whatever word you want to put onto it. Uh, like I was posting today about harassment of wild dolphins. It really, you really shouldn't need a fine or threat of imprisonment to not touch and harass a wild animal, but we do. Same with, like you said, with the salmon, looking at it and not seeing it as food, seeing it as a being, uh, you, like both can coexist. You can think of salmon as well as being food, but we also need to not immediately just think of, oh my gosh, that salmon rice, TikTok food uh, recipe. I want to try that, but just letting the animal exist and be an animal without us having to insert ourselves in whatever way, whether it's food or whatever, like we can just, we should just be able to look at something and be like, that's beautiful, whether or not I am a part of it in any way Absolutely. in and of itself beautiful animal yes that like I think that you're totally right and when I was reading this this you know obviously ecotourism is something that's like on my brain a lot because that's the field that I work in and obviously it's like complex with the southern residents and you know we talk about the ethics of that a lot and there's a part of me that wonders if because that we are kind of out out of balance with the way that we interact with nature, we maybe don't have as many like regular interactions with say salmon or orca, like that maybe that's why people feel the need to like get in the water with it or to get the boat like two feet away from it or something like that, you know, or, you know, take all the salmon. I there's, I don't know. I, I think potentially we would view wildlife differently if we did have it as a part of our day, like the average person had it as a part of their day-to-day -day life. And there are people like that, but I think there's a lot of people that are not like that also. Well, there are people that have it as a part of their day-to-day -day life and yeah, still see it as a way to, oh my gosh, sorry. Uh, I just found a piece of glass on my stuffed animal. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I, um, but yeah, some people do see wildlife every single day and still see it as a way to benefit themselves. And like you said, getting in the water, getting on a boat, I think it's important everyone thinks about 
why I'm a diver. I worked uh, on a, I was a, was an intern on a dive boat for a while uh, with sharks. And then I'm a free diver. And so I was in the water with animals quite a bit um, from little fishies and urchins and the occasional dolphin pass by. And I've swam with dolphins that were five feet in front of me and sat there and watched me for a little bit and getting and I've seen people do that, chase them down, want to get pictures. I've seen people who don't, like my group of friends, we stay at the surface, you just let them pass by. But even then, I, I have to look at myself. Why do I want to see this? Why do I want this? Why do I do this? Why do I care about seeing a dolphin? Because uh, the reason you do it is, is really big. When I first started diving, I definitely was like, oh, I want a picture with the dolphins. That'd be like so cool. All the divers on Instagram have pictures of the dolphins. And then I never got one because I had horrible luck, thank goodness, and never really saw them. And then by the time I was starting to see them, my perspective changed. I learned more about regulations. I learned how important it is not to harass them, how most pictures taken with like spinner dolphins, for example, in Hawaii are breaking regulations, the current ones and the old ones. Uh, diving on a pot of dolphins is extremely disruptive to their behavior. Uh, kind of any way you throw it, unless you're already down, and they kind of pass by you then. Yeah. Um, we talked about the diving in Norway. I used to really want to do that. And now I don't really want to. There's still a part of me. I'm like, yeah, of course, that'd be sick. I want to like, it'd be so cool to be in the water and like see an orca. But with like the way the industry is, no, thank you. Me posting that picture, whether or not I did it sustainably, ethically, with the right perspective, with the right mindset, that will not unless I literally type that in every single caption I post of any picture from that yeah. experience, whether I'm in it or not, people are might a lot of people might just see it and go buy a ticket. I don't care with any yeah. company not looking into it. And that's kind of the danger of it. And that's why, like, I think posting anything, being super aware, doing anything with, with wildlife, I think people should look inward and it's okay if a little bit of it is selfish. I'm not going to lie. A little yeah. bit of what I do is 100%. rooted in, in, in me. Yeah, absolutely. But there's a way to manage it. Yes. It's a balance. And like, that's the and thing prioritize thing. Like, cause I think it's unrealistic to be like, don't be egotistical at all, but like have the ability to check it. And like, of course, like who wouldn't want a pot of dolphins to swim by them? Like what? Like, you know, but I, I totally agree with you. You have to be like careful, like, especially you, like as an influencer, you have to be careful about like what you share. And half the time people probably aren't even going to read the comment. So even if you did say this was ethical, it's like ultimately not worth it at the end of the day. It's kind of funny because ironically enough, I had a friend literally just post today, a picture of her and an orca swimming by her. Um, and she was out on a dive and the animal, like, past her and it like it's an insanely beautiful photo she got a beautiful video of this animal and like she sat on it for like a year she didn't even tell well actually I think it's been two years now that it happened and she just now decided to tell people about it and I think a lot of like she said for her it was such a spiritual experience and like she was going through a lot at that time and then the orca like approached her and I think there's a lot of people like that I think I remember reading Alexandria Morton's book maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was somebody else. I think it was her though, talking about how like she was in the fog and like orcas helped her find her way back to the harbor or something like that, you know? Yeah. So people do have these experiences and I think, yeah, you're totally right. But it's like, 
you know, when you do have a special experience with an animal, like, you know, you got to balance the, like, you don't want to chase after it. If you're lucky enough for that animal to pass you, you're lucky enough. And like, it shouldn't be about getting a picture or like whatever the situation is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a picture of the dolphin, the bottlenose. I have pictures of it that I have posted where I am not in it and it's just really close and pretty, but I have one where it shows how close it was to me. And from the picture, it doesn't look like it was that close, but when there's a big old dolphin in front of you, you're like, oh my gosh. Anyway. And I have this like beautiful photo and I don't know if I'll ever post it just because it was, I know that the boat people I went with and that when I did it, it was ethical we did not chase we got in the water we sat there and a pod swam by one individual came and gave us a little close-up the the rest of them stayed far away it was maybe 10 minutes max but I have this beautiful photo yeah and it's beautiful because sometimes photos are okay and there are beautiful experiences but just when it comes to like having a platform sharing it there are people that won't read it and just be like oh who'd you go with how do I do that yeah they go on the boat I want to see bottlenose dolphins some people don't listen to the tour guides when they say don't chase and what whatnot. Like it's just like a a conundrum like that I don't think I'll ever share yeah. it. But I have it. And I think part of it too is like going back to that connection that we have to nature. I think that's ultimately it's like that curiosity, that wonder. But I think because so like you know, obviously there are those people like myself who are are on the water pretty much every day, like, and uh, like, I have my own views on wildlife and whatever. And like, obviously like, you know, I'm not a perfect person and I don't, you know, I'm not going to claim to be, um, but I definitely always try to prioritize the animal and like not make things about myself or if I post things, not make it about like my experiences or whatever. But I do think that like so many people, because that like, I don't know. So I used to get FOMO about like missing out on cool sightings or whatever, because I got caught up in that mindset. It's easy to get caught up when that's kind of what the environment is like. But then I was like, you know what? I'm 25 years old. I have like so much life to live. And if I'm like, I've been so lucky to see all the things that I've seen. And, you know, if I get to like, I don't want to check too many things off the bucket list, but also like, you know, at an early age, but I mean, that's not the point, but you know, it's not about that at the end of the day. Like, it's really amazing if an animal does do something, but there's like this weird energy around, like, I got to be close to it. I got to touch it. I have to like, whatever. And I think that it's partially like for the average person, non like whale folk person, it's like, it's probably that connection to nature. And like, because that, you know, if you're somebody that lives in a city or something like that, and you don't have that connection, like this might be your only chance to see a whale versus like, maybe if we you know, didn't have all of colonialism happen in the United States uh, and like, you know, like previously indigenous land, the people living here probably would have more regular interactions with whales, salmon, other wildlife. That's not like just a squirrel, you know? Yeah. Well, and I was, I wanted to say too, like, just as like a clarification, I totally think there are safe and ethical ways Oh, yeah. To see wildlife on a boat in the water and that not everyone who posts photos with animals are bad yeah. and have a horrible. I know people that are in the water every single day with sharks, like dolphins and all that. And they're great people. And yeah. when you're in the water that much, you're going to be in the photos and for sure you're going to yeah. share them. 
And it's, but yeah. Just to say, anyone out there might be listening, I have it. I have pictures of animals. My friends do. I don't think it's inherently bad. Yeah. Most definitely. Like, I have swam with dolphins in Honduras. And, like, at the time, I didn't know as much. And it was like, they're living in a sea pen, but they are trained or they are trained. And, like, at the time, I was under the impression that this was like, okay looking back now I'm like that's a little sus but it's slightly better than other captivity options because they like get to go run free in the ocean when they feel like it um but still like like we've all done things like and not yeah I'm definitely not like wanting to bash anybody either or like say that like everybody's like that because like you're an influencer who's not like that and I'm not saying that it's like it's just like and this topic I think comes up a lot because you are an influencer I work in the whale watching industry and like, it just is, it's just going to come up. This topic is just, it's very prevalent in both our areas. There's people who are amazing in whale watching. There are people that aren't, there are amazing divers and photographers, and there are others that are exploitative. And that's the thing in these areas is in any career, there is a lot of room for corruption for ego. And you can, you start to notice who, and what those treats are when you're kind of in it. Um, and some observers from the outside can as well, but it's just frustrating because it's a different, it's leading into this thought that's brought up in the book, this, that they were a resource. And in that yeah. sense, they're a resource for fame, for a deal, maybe with a documentary or something. They're more followers, more likes, whatever that is. That's mm-hmm. the goal um, for a lot of people. And that's, that, that's, that's a different way to view them as a resource, not food, We're not looking at them as food, but it's a way that they've become a resource for a particular group of individuals. Absolutely. And I think it's the reason that it's like, it feels so difficult to address and deal with in like both of our lives is because that these are the people that like do have big followings and like all these other things. And like, when I talk, like the conversation that I had with Tim Harrison a few months ago, like really, really stuck with me because he's like in the tiger world, like he's not whales, but he experiences the same issues. And like, for him, it's like, it's big documentaries and like other things. Like, like he told me that tiger King made people like get more tigers, which you would think it would have the opposite effect because it's like, it's so crazy and wild and out there. And like, it, like, I feel like it would be obvious, like, let's not do this, but it made it worse. Um, but, and that's the thing is like, you know, these people view it as a resource and then they perpetuate this narrative of normalizing, viewing it as a resource and ecotourism is increasingly getting popular. And I would guarantee like pretty much that it's getting more and more popular with COVID because it's one of the few safe, you know, activities that you can do. Um, but also like, you know, a lot of these people are making ecotourism, um, more, you know, like well-known to other people. And like, it definitely is important. Cause I think that those connections that we have to ha- animals and like, like you just have to do it in the right way. There's that balance of the ego of like, yes, of course I want to connect with this animal and I want others to connect with the animal, but it, like doing it in a way where you're like, listen, this is the humpback whale. Here's the story of the humpback whale and how it was like. The population was nearly depleted and now they've bounced back and here's like the story of the southern residents and here's like what you can do you know um so it's definitely a balance for sure but it's hard because it seems like everything is viewed as a resource like and that's i think 
what makes it so difficult is like, like you said, it's not food. We're not drilling for oil. It's like viewing an animal, but it somehow has like become like there's, it, I would say the industry is divided. Probably like half the people are exploitive and half the people have their heart in, in a better, more grounded place. Yeah, it was kind of like the salmon thing. I said, we, some people can look at it, a being, a whale, a salmon, whatever, see it as that creature and not need anything else. Other people have to insert themselves or insert something into it. So whales, they poop and that helps feed phytoplankton, which helps the earth uh, maintain oxygen. Or some people look at it as a way to, to, to benefit themselves. And sometimes both of those are okay. It's okay to view whales as like a very important part of the ecosystem and their poop is awesome. It's okay to sometimes like that you will sometimes insert yourself. Like I really want to go see whale and you book a trip and what, and I hope I have a really cool experience. Like those are not horrible and you're not a horrible person for thinking those. I literally think that anytime I book a whale watching trip, Oh my gosh, I hope we see like an orca. Yeah. How sick would it be too? If like, maybe it's like weirdly like one of those, like a close pass, like but I, it's something that everyone needs to reflect on in themselves on the ego and how that comes out. And like, if you know, you have an ego problem to maybe try and check it, try to try to minimize it. I had to do that. And I'm totally open to admitting yeah. that I definitely had to do that. We all have to do that. Like if you meet children, just like children, I still have to do that. Yeah. Like, like when we come out, we're, we're pretty egotistical and it's all about me and my needs and what I want. And it's like, over your lifetime, you learn that. And like, we're, we're never going to have, we're never going to stop doing that work because ego is always going to be a thing that like, it's, it's a survival mechanism. It's always going to be there. Um, but it's a matter of checking it. And like, I'm definitely not saying that I'm not egotistical. There are like, not things that I want that would be selfish, like that I definitely do. But like, it's a matter of like acting on those things or just like keeping it to a minimum. And it's not saying like, never, like, I, I don't expect anybody to ever be perfect, but just do the best that you can. That's all, you know, yeah. that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe we should like all potentially share an idea for like a way that you can connect to nature in a way that's like non-exploitive. Um, or, you know, put your kind of putting ourselves like in a mindset of like these last two chapters. I think like I would recommend for people to go outside and just like even like just go into your backyard or your front yard or like if you don't have a back or a front yard, like a local park and just maybe sit and just sit there for like 20 minutes and just like look and listen and smell and just do those things and like, you know, be present in nature. Do you guys have any ideas for what people can do to better connect? I recommend learn like maybe going on a hike or a walk or tide pooling, finding critters, taking pictures of what you see, and then going home and trying to ID them. For me, I like learning IDs. It ties me more to the place. If you're looking stuff up, you're finding websites. You can find like local nonprofits information uh, that may tell you stuff about that animal, that um, fungus, that tree, whatever it is that you're IDing. And it makes me feel like I understand where I'm at more. I know the life there 
what impacts them, what do they eat, what eats them. And it just makes me feel like a part of it and learning more about it. And it's a little more fun. I get to do more research. You get outside, you get to do a bunch of stuff. Um, and yeah, that would be mine. Learn some IDs, learn what's around you. That's a great one. What about you, Liam? Well, I mean, I, I was built, you know, where I live right now, it's in a big neighborhood that was built, uh, essentially in the middle of this massive, uh, you know, this massive, you know, ecosystem where you have, you know, all these different, you know, uh, all this different biodiversity. Anytime that I've, that I've come across it, it's always when I was on you, because it's always on the trail and it was always, usually on the trail or just at random by accident. Um, And yeah, usually, Whenever I, whenever I came across animals, it was mostly just, yeah, I, I would, I would occasionally try and take pictures. I don't like take, I don't like doing wildlife photography. It's very annoying. And, you know, and I much rather prefer, you know, doing like other landscape photography of like, you know, big areas or in just industry or whatever. But yeah, so it's, I've never, uh, but yeah, I have, I've gone, you know, I've lived in, you know, this big area. So I've been on tons and tons of hikes. There's a trail that I go through all around. And ultimately, the best thing that I think you can probably do is just, um, just, you know, keep aware of your, uh, keep aware of your surroundings and just kind of look out for, um, Look, uh, look out for what you see and if you see something that's interesting just take a moment to pause and you know to just look at it and just study it. just use your you know use your own eyes and you know use your senses to study what you're looking at you know from you know a reasonable different you know distance and such you know don't go up run out and try and you know get up really close to something uh you could try take pictures as uh, what uh kendra suggests you do and try and um and try and uh um ID of what species you're looking at like I, that's a great idea I, that's a really good idea it's especially fun to do that um with birds since there's such a massive variety of them you know there's so there can be there are tons of uh species of birds that exist in you know even really small ecosystems so yeah you can if you can definitely do that um but yeah it's just kind of just sort of learn to let everything go you know I've, I've lived in, the, I've lived where I live now for like, you know, eight, almost 18 years. Um, and the thing I, and I, and I, so I basically, I grew up walking along trails and just sort of being in this environment and the best, yeah. So just the best thing to do is just kind of let go, just study with your eyes and your ears and, you know, your nose and, you know, just sort of, get used you just sort of start just yeah start out studying with your senses and just focusing on that and then if you want to get into details maybe learn what you're looking at i mean yeah yeah, that's the best that's the best thing that you know that i can that i suggest the average person do because i know you know no one's you know not everyone's really interested in iding that iding which is completely understandable because iding is very tedious and can be super annoying at times so yeah just study with what 
what uh, nature has given you, basically. Absolutely. You know, be nature, use nature's tools, and just kind of let go. And, and yeah, that's what I, that's what I yeah. would suggest. I think that's great. I think, too, even what people can do if they want something that's like, you know, like if they don't want to go ID something, just when you're on a walk in your neighborhood or somewhere, just see if you can notice something different, something that you haven't noticed before. Like, you know, maybe it's like a, a bug crawling on a plant or maybe it's a totally different type of plant, but there's a lot of options. So I would encourage people to um, definitely read this book and also to go find a way to connect with nature in a way where you feel that you are just a part of it versus having, feeling dominant over it. Um, I feel like we covered a lot in this. I feel like we always cover a lot. It's always so fun to chat with both of you. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? Cause I really, I do feel like we've, we've covered quite a bit. I feel like that's, that's it. Besides just, again, you're not a bad person. If you see wildlife and take pictures with wildlife. No, just, I want to reemphasize that just in case people were like, wait, I do that. Cause I also do that. So I feel also, better. Yes. Yes. I all, yeah, no, I it's take pictures like, of and with wildlife. So but don't make it like for the, like, don't do it in a way that's unsafe for you or the animal and don't do it. Yeah. Always do it ethically. Yeah. Uh, and in a way that does not harm yourself or the animal yes. and just in general, check your ego in whatever capacity that may be. It may be with food. It may be with clothes. It may be with uh, something else. Just, For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you everybody for listening. And we will continue on with chapters seven and eight in two weeks. Um, and yep. And have a good day. And that's it. <laughs> that was a really good ending. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 Thank <laughs> you.